Last week we looked at uh, worship, a core element of what we do. I told you there were three that we were going to be looking at. Uh, worshiping the Lord, equipping believers, and engaging the world as three core elements of what we do at the church. And I just want to share, introduce this sermon this morning by just sharing you, uh, I told you last week I was going to give you a little more information on how this came about. And it was October of this year, we had a business meeting, and I, I was on vacation actually at the time and had just rushed in uh, to, to a, a, a moderate the business meeting that, that evening, and I got all of my papers, and they were, Carrie had them all set up for me, and, and I had them, and I hadn't even really had a chance to look through them, and I had gone through uh, a few of them, but it came time to uh, accept the clerk's report. And for those of you that have been in church live very long, you know that that is a pretty pretty simple deal. We look over it, um, and we approve it as written, and we move on to the next thing. Typically, the clerk's report uh, doesn't really take that long, and, and this one didn't really either. But when it came time to, to read the clerk's report and then approve it, um, I looked at the clerk's report, and I saw that we had had 11 members join the church on the clerk's report. All of them but one was by transfer of letter. The one that was not a transfer of letter was a statement of faith. And I looked down just a little bit further, and I noticed that there were no baptisms for that whole quarter. Three months. And that, those three months included uh, July and August, which really is when our evangelistic arm is swinging the strongest. I mean, that's when we've come off of, of vacation Bible school, that's when our summer camps have concluded. That's when a lot of our evangelistic campaigns took place. And I looked at that and I thought, there's got to be a mistake that we did not baptize anybody in three months. So I took it back to Carrie Monday and said, Carrie, I'm afraid you've obviously made a mistake here that we haven't baptized anybody in three months. And she showed me that we hadn't. Now, before you all start to think that I'm talking about the significance in numbers. I love what Jack Lowry says about numbers in church. He said numbers are important in, the, in, in, in that they represent people. And I think there's some truth to that. Numbers are important in that they represent people. And I started to think for a second, why in the world, out of all that we have done in, in regards to evangelistic campaigns, Sunday and, and VBS and children's camps and youth camps, why in the world had we not seen the profession of one soul having come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and walk through that first step of obedience and baptism? And I started to think, well, it's, it's maybe the church just isn't inviting people or, or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And all of these things began to swirl around my head when I was struck with something. I realized that, you know what, I don't think I can lay the blame on anybody else other than myself in the sense that I don't know if the church understands what my expectations are as a pastor and what the expectations of Christ are for the church. I don't know that I had clearly laid out a comprehensive vision and plan strategy in order to be that church that Christ wanted, wants us to be. So I had spent that time praying and seeking the Lord's face, and, and I realized that a year ago I had started working on that study about what the church was about. And I told you there were opportunities I had to be able to share that series of messages with you, 
And I could have, but it seemed like something was already coming up and something seemed more pressing. Looking back on it now, I can tell you that I probably could have preached that series of messages a year ago, um, but I really believe that it was only until that business meeting in October that God really got a hold of my heart. You see, it's one thing to preach from our mind. It's another thing to preach a message simply from our mouth. But it's a whole other thing when God has really made that word alive in a very particular way and allowed us to not just preach with our mind and, and to not just preach with our mouth, but to preach with our heart. So this series of three messages, what, what do we do? What, what do we do? What does it mean to be a part of this church? What is the function of the church? And I want you to understand, I'm, I hope I'm not offending anyone in that. For those of you that say, I know what the church is about. I'm not speaking that everybody doesn't understand what the vision of the church is about. I was saying, I don't know that I have effectively communicated that. So last week we looked first was to worship the Lord. We looked in-depth about what worshiping God really is and what it's not. And this week, I want you to see number two, equipping the believers. Look with me in, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 7, the apostle says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth, was placed in the grave. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's stop there. I told you that this series came out of a study of the Great Commission and going back and looking, diving into and tearing apart the activity of the early church. And if you think about it, what I'm talking about this morning, equipping believers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, is not some new concept. It was what Jesus really taught us in the Great Commission, that we are to be teachers who are teaching. We are to be learners who learned the teachings and the truth from God's word, all things whatsoever he has commanded, and that we then take what we have learned and pour it into another spiritual generation of people. That we see people come to Christ and then we invest in discipling them or equipping them for the work of ministry. So ultimately, it is someone hearing or coming to faith in Christ, being developed in discipleship, being equipped, and then that person equipping someone else who equips someone else. We literally, this morning, all that have 
called on Christ as our Savior and who are in that process of learning and growing and being equipped as believers, we are part of a multiple generation of people that stretch back to the Great Commission. We, we can literally take our Ancestry.com spiritually all the way back to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We know that we have come to faith in Jesus Christ and that we are being discipled by someone else who was discipled after they were saved, who was discipled by someone else who was saved. We have this awesome lineage that goes back to the Great Commission. We also see in the book of Acts that they were busy in, in, in holding to and continuing steadfastly, Acts chapter 2 says. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't have these nice leather-bound Bibles. They didn't have their little copy of the New Testament. They didn't have Beth Moore, and, and they didn't have Mark Batterson. They didn't have all of these great uh, Bible studies at the time because the New Testament was still being written. They had to listen to those apostles whose job it was was to bear forth, to bear the witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to live their lives as sent ones out to, uh, to acknowledge the, rec the record of Jesus' resurrection. That's what they did. They went out communicating the truth, especially as it, as it uh, bore witness of the resurrection. But he says in chapter 4, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Who is the he himself? Christ. Jesus, he himself, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers. What he is saying is that God, in his infinite wisdom, has gifted and provided this gift of, at the time, prophecy or apostleship or evangelism or pastor teaching that he, upon his own wisdom and his own counsel, sought out those who were saved and gave them that particular gift. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of of the ministry. The, in, in verse uh, number 7. Excuse me my page flip. In verse number. Excuse me not 7. Verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles and prophets. We read just earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. That the apostle Paul writing to these Ephesian believers. Chapter 2 verse 20. He says that the foundation was laid on the apostles and prophets. We are not building a foundation anymore. The foundation has already been laid. The foundation has been built. We today have the privilege of building the superstructure upon that foundation of which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. I want you to see these next ones. The evangelist, the pastor, teacher. In the Greek, pastor and teacher are not separated in the same way that they were when they were describing prophets and apostles and, and evangelist. There is now this combination we understand through the original rendering of the word that it was not just a pastor and a teacher, but a pastor teacher. Someone to shepherd by teaching the truth of the word of God. So the ones we're dealing with now, today, after the foundation has already been laid, are evangelists and the pastor teacher. And I want you to see what it says that he himself, Christ, gave. The church, these people, we've got pastor, teacher, we've got evangelist. And what's their job? To equip 
to equip the believers. What do I do? What, what is my job according to Ephesians chapter 4? My job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. What does that mean? Let me show you something. Jump back to our first part of the text. Look at verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Look at verse 7. He himself gave some to be apostles. This was not something that everybody had. This was what God deemed in his infinite wisdom and his will to give some this responsibility. But even though some had that responsibility, everybody who is called on the name of Christ has been given a gift, a spiritual gift for the work of ministry. Every one of us, in fact, if you flip the page, well, in my Bible, I would flip the page. In verse 16, from the whole body, joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the working by which every part does it share. Do you know what equipping is? Equipping on my part is preparing and training you to use the spiritual gifts that God has already provided in you when you became a follower of Christ. That moment you became saved. That moment, whether it was 12 or 22 or 110, when you became saved and the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life, He gifted you for the work of the ministry. Now, my job is to equip the saints. For what purpose? For the work of ministry, number two. For the work of ministry. Now, wait a second. Some of you are going to say, okay, pastor, this is KG of you. What you are doing is now trying to get us to realize that you're not supposed to be doing much work. Don't. Some of you right here in your head saying, Pastor, you only work on Sundays and Wednesdays as it is. Isn't there? I, I know that's not prevalent in this congregation, I think. But aren't you saying that you are wanting more people to come in to do the work that you should be doing? I mean, isn't there isn't there an attitude among some maybe that say, isn't that why we have you to to do the work of the ministry biblically what it says is my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry then you may say well what are you doing i'm equipping you i'm ministering by doing what god called me and equipped me and gifted me to do is to be able to provide by teaching and equipping and encouraging and edifying and helping you to be able to understand that god has given you this a dynamic spiritual gift or gifts whatever they are and to help you understand how to use those gifts why to use those gifts, when to use those gifts, whatever the case is, to help bring you to the place where you are developed into the person that Christ called you, designed you, and made you to be. That's my job. I, I, yes, there is other ministry that takes place beyond uh, pastor teaching. There, there are visitation. I, this, this does not exclude me from work actually if you think about it it ought to weigh heavier on the shoulders of a pastor that my job is to equip a large group of people this doesn't 
This doesn't make weight come off when I go, whew. No. It ought to burden us. As pastors and leaders, teachers, we have an awesome responsibility. See, sometimes we get it backwards. Sometimes we flip these great truths of God's Word. My job is not to entertain. Hopefully it is to enlighten and encourage, to educate, to edify. Why? So that those that have called on the name of Christ will be able to walk out of this place and serve our Lord and Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ with the gifts that he has given them. That's the great calling that I have to steer and to guide and to teach and to lead. What? So that you can be a part of the work of the ministry. That's awesome. We flip it. The pastor's here to do the work of the ministry. No, you know what? That is just so incredibly impractical. Think about it with me for just a moment. That is so incredibly impractical for to expect the pastor or the ministry staff to do all of the work of the ministry. That would be okay if your church was maybe five or six people. And you should never expect it to get much more, maybe, than five or six people. But to be a body, to recognize that this is not just a building with walls. This is the family of God on the local level that forms together some of the feet, some of the hands, some of the appendix. Yes, there are some appendices in, in churches. There are some who are the eyes. There are some who are the legs that are running. There are some who are the brains. There are some that are the ears. But we all work together, realizing our spirit spiritual gift, encouraged to be a part, equipped to know what we're doing, and to go out and to serve the Lord as the local body, to be, in essence, the physical, tangible body of Jesus Christ to meet the needs of a lost and dying world. That's what we do. That's why we do it. Acts chapter 6, they ministered by serving food. Acts chapter 11, they ministered by giving. Acts chapter 13, they ministered by teaching. Acts chapter 20, they ministered by meeting needs. Acts 24, they ministered by visiting people. In Acts chapter 26, they ministered by bearing witness to the truth. All of these different ways that believers ministered using their spiritual gifts, having been equipped and growing and developing as followers of Christ. I want you to see this third thing. I am of the school that if we do what we're supposed to do for the right reason, we can only expect God to be glorified. I believe that. I believe that on the individual level. I believe that on the family level. I believe that on the church level. So if we do what we are supposed to do, if I do what I'm supposed to do to equip the saints for the purpose of the work of the ministry, then what is going to happen? What's the result? Number three. Look at verse 13. He says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You may say in your mind, well, I'm going to help other people grow. 
I'm going to encourage other people in their walk with Christ. But let me tell you something, brother. That we is there for a reason. You will develop also in the process. We grow as we exercise our faith in obedience to the Word of God. One of the... It has always seemed like this. That serving God is typically one of the first things to go when a believer falls out of a right fellowship with God. It seems like those that used to serve, they're, they're not showing up anymore to serve. Their heart's starting to, to not be in the work and they start to bow out. And before long, you don't see them serving and then you don't see them attending. And it seems like in my experience, when we see someone stop serving, it seems to be one of the first stepping stones a very dangerous road out of a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I love verse 14 and 15, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. He's using this reference of a boat on the sea. The, the disciples themselves would have known very much about a ship being tossed by the wind on the sea. He's saying that we would no longer be like that ship that is dependent upon certain wind to blow us wherever we go. He's saying so that we might have some stability in life. But let me say this just a little clearer. I believe that there's even a, a, a deeper meaning right here. I believe he is not just talking that we are able to, to stand on truth Firmly. But the picture is that of a ship on a sea being tossed by the wind. He is speaking clearly of, in this context, of the local church. And I believe that one of the great results of me, of our, of our leadership, of our ministry staff equipping you for the work of the ministry, I believe it is something much more than stability in life. I believe it is keeps our church on course. We know where we're going. We know what our destination is. We know where point B is supposed to be for our church. We know what we're supposed to look like. We are utilizing everybody in order to get to that place, to be that church. To not get sidetracked with all of the many things that can, can get our attention and distract us from the purpose, but that we can say in our heart, I know what God's design for the church is. I know what the role of the pastor teacher is. I know what my role is, and I'm part of it. I'm going to bend my back in this great work. Why? Not just to keep us stable, but to keep us on course, going, focused, on the work that Christ has called us to be. That's why this has to be a core element of what we do. Unashamedly, worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords, He who has risen from the grave, the first and the last, Jesus Christ. But unashamedly, equipping believers for the work of the ministry. Why? So we can have focus. Notice verse 16 who from the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I believe a third result that we ought to be able to see is growth of the body. Now, let me say this. When I say growth of the body, that does not mean that we will necessarily see more blue or less blue in our sanctuary. That does not necessarily mean... I believe a church that grows up will also grow out. I believe the growth that he is talking about is that spiritual maturity among the believers. And a church that grows up, I believe, will broaden its influence because the people have bought in to the plan and the purpose of God. Those people are burdened for souls. Those people understand that the need is great and the time is short and they are employed, if you will, In the work that Christ gave us to do. Does that mean that that to adopt this attitude in life of being equipped for the work of the ministry that we would not see more? No, I'm not saying that at all. I just want everybody to be able to understand that a church that grows up, grows out, has a broader influence. Notice the third thing in verse 17 to 24 He says, therefore, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He's writing to believers in Ephesus and in four different times, four different times from verse 17 to 24, verse 17, verse 20, verse 21 and verse 24. He mentions that there is to be a moral distinction between the believers and the lost world. What is the result of me being able to equip you for the work of the ministry? I believe it will produce a group of people that are distinctly different from the lost world around us. A group of people, as mentioned here four times, are distinctly different. Do you ever feel sometimes that Maybe the world doesn't understand, doesn't care so much about what it is to be a Christian because the Christians look so much like the world. I believe that when there is more of a distinction between the believer and the non-believer, which there should be, when there is that clear distinction between who we're living for, what we're doing, and why, when that distinction lies, I believe it is, it is truly contagious. And here the apostle says we ought to be able to expect spiritual maturity. We ought to be able to expect direction for the church and a focus. We ought to be able to expect growth of the whole body. And we ought to be able to see a production of a morally distinct people from the lost world. Now, let me ask you this question. I'm going to play a game. I'm going to introduce a game to you. It's what I like to call, and if I don't, okay? I hope that the case has been made about what my role is. I hope the case has been made to you of what our role as members of this local body, those of us who have called on Christ, And you may be saying, well, I understand it, but what if I don't? It always gets down to that, and if I don't. And if you have kids, you know exactly that look. And if I don't? Let me tell you a few things. 
If you choose to hear this truth and disobey it, first of all, you will, be, you will know that you are walking in disobedience to the Word of God. That's the first thing. That we would be walking in disobedience to the Word of God. And that ought to mean something to us as children of God. But secondly, you are forfeiting a blessing for yourself in serving. You are not just forfeiting a blessing on your life in serving Christ, in His design, in His plan. But you are forfeiting being a blessing to someone else. In using, in, in sitting there as a child of God and yet remaining on the sidelines, never getting engaged, never being involved, never growing and maturing. You are sitting on the sidelines and robbing yourself of a manifold blessing of God, but you're robbing others from an opportunity to be blessed by you. The third thing. I would imagine that if you stand in disobedience to being equipped by as a believer you should not expect to grow or develop more spiritually. Growing our bodies, believe it or not, does require work. We still have to feed it. We still have to take care of it. There's still maintenance required for us to grow. We do play a part on some level of our physical growth, and the same is true spiritually. It's based off of diet and exercise. What are we eating? Are we nourishing ourselves on the Word of God? Are we exercising and actively living out our faith in our life? How much have you grown and developed as a believer? And let me end with this last, and if I don't. If you say, yeah, I, I hear this, but I still don't want to be involved. You are denying an opportunity to live the life that God uniquely and distinctly gifted you to live. That's awesome. He distinctly and uniquely gifted me, gifted you as a believer for the work of ministry, to minister and to edify others. Friends, you can't do that on an island. You have to encounter other people. And if you are rejecting this idea of getting in the game, being a part of the work of the local church, if you're rejecting that, I believe you are rejecting the very system that God put in place to make disciples of all nations, obviously throughout all the world. Where do we stand in light of this? Where do we stand? Are, are you right now where you are? Can you say in your heart that you are being equipped? You may say, well, pastor, I don't even know what to do. Several things. Pay attention when the word is being taught. Take a doggy bag home, guys. You go to the restaurants. You get good food. There's too much food. You don't want to throw it away. What do you do? You get a doggy bag. I would encourage you to take a spiritual doggy bag. I'll do my best to provide a great meal. 
Write it down. Take it home with you. Study it. Look it over. Nourish yourself on the stuff that you've been able to learn in service. I, I would encourage you to keep it classy, man. Get a room. Find a Bible study that you can be a part of. Learn with other people. Talk to me. Talk to your Sunday school teacher. Talk to a, a deacon about some resources and materials that you can trust, that you can read on your own time. Feed yourself as well. I want to encourage you to take that next step. Maybe for some of you, the next step is, is uniting with this local church. To be a part, formally, of what God is doing in this place to help have some rowers and to strengthen the task at hand of making the gospel known. To make disciples, we will unashamedly worship Jesus Christ. And we will unashamedly equip believers for the work of of ministry maybe this has been way over your head i'm talking about equipping you for ministry and you haven't even come to faith in christ let me back it up really quick by saying this jesus christ loves you he loves you right now for who you are all that you've done he loves you and he showed you how much he loved you by sending his son jesus christ to die on the cross. I would not want you to think that you are you are participating in the work of the gospel without having ever received the gospel. I would encourage you today if you've never trusted Christ and God right here has made it so clear to you in an unmistakable way that you right now may say, Pastor, I know I need to trust Christ. I know today, I know he's got a great life for me, has ordained my life and I want to first start out by giving my life 